This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 21st, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing has launched a whole new fight over the U.S. Supreme Court. Cato adjunct scholar David Post clerked for Justice Ginsburg twice, and he has some personal memories of the late justice. We spoke yesterday. I think it's fair to say that uh, a lot of libertarians don't have a super high regard for the jurisprudence, at least on the Supreme Court, of, uh, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, what can you tell us about her uh, work, both as an attorney and a judge, that uh, should be most impressive to uh, people who care about individual liberty, who people who would describe themselves as uh, liberal or libertarian? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think th- there's there's some sort of standard answers um, uh, or, or s- straightforward answers. I think her First Amendment jurisprudence is important, um, and I think a libertarian would not be terribly uncomfortable with with her First Amendment views. I think she had a f- fairly strong strongly protective uh, uh, view of the First Amendment. I was, uh, during the year that I clerked for her on the Supreme Court, we had a case, uh, Madsen, I think it was Madsen versus the ACLU, I think, um, which was about injunctions, speech injunctions at abortion clinics. So it was a, uh, it was an interesting little case, um, not enormously important sort of doctrinally, I, I don't think, uh, but it sort of posed a uh, particularly difficult dilemma, I think, for someone like uh, Ruth Ginsburg, who uh, is, is sort of on both sides. Uh, of, you know, it's a it's a the, the the same conflict that the ACLU, I think, faced and faces about support for reproductive rights on the one hand, and support for the First Amendment on the other, and it comes into you know. Uh, uh, sort of conflict at uh, w- with respect to these cases involving injunctions, speech injunctions at abortion clinics that you couldn't be within 50 feet of the clinic, you couldn't yell out nasty things to people who were going in, you can't uh, disrupt unreasonably the progress of people who are trying to walk into the clinic, you can't um, grab them on the way in and and try to persuade them not to go, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that was, and and I think the, the court and Justice Ginsburg came down on the side of the First Amendment, if, if you will. I mean, I think they struck down a fairly broad injunction against speech, against the abortion protesters, and the court overturned the injunction. Um, they didn't say you could never do it, but they said you could... Uh, uh, you have to tailor it very, very carefully. You have to really um, make sure that you are not prohibiting more speech than uh, than you have to in order to protect the ingress and egress from the clinic. Um, I thought that was the right result in that case, but I also thought it was. Uh, I, I was happy that Justice Ginsburg, with whom I clashed on a lot of these issues, because I think I'm a little more libertarian minded than she is. But I think she was right, and I think she came down in the right place on that. And I think her First Amendment cases are pretty consistent in in strong support for speech, for religious freedom, um, and the like. You clerked for Justice Ginsburg on two occasions. 
Correct. What was the, the, the first clerkship was at the circuit court? That's right. On the DC circuit in 1986, which was her fifth year. So what, uh, you know, in, in your two times working for her, what, what are your big takeaways? Oh my goodness. A lot of takeaways. Um, I, I don't think of Ruth Ginsburg in ideological terms. I know most people do. Certainly she became, I think, uh, you know, the leader of the liberal wing on the court and all of that. That never, sort of in my day-to-day interactions with her about cases, um, that kind of didn't come up. Uh, that, that wasn't, she, she one of the takeaways was that she really wanted to get a ride. I mean, I, I know it sounds stupid, but but uh, I don't think she came to individual cases with any particular sort of predisposition or axe to grind. Um, now, remember, a lot of the cases, uh, all of the cases really in the D.C. Circuit and most of the cases at the Supreme Court don't really fall out very easily on ideological grounds. Their statute, most of it is statutory construction. Um, and you know procedural issues and and jurisdictional issues uh, and the like and and so you, most of the work that's done um, doesn't do, involve a sort of very an, an obvious right left libertarian conservative liberal etc uh, dimension uh, she certainly didn't emphasize that when talking about the cases she wanted to know what the law was and how do I do. Um, how do I do justice for the litigants, which I think was was one of the things that I, I took away from my experience with her. Another thing that I think was very, and everybody who clerks for Ruth Ginsburg, I think will say this, she was a very good writer. I, I, I'm not sure she was a great uh, uh, practitioner. You know, one of, she will not go down in history as one of the great prose stylists on the Supreme Court, um, but she was very good. Uh, um, and And more than being very good, she had an attitude towards legal writing that I think was, if not unique, very unusual and made a profound impression on me. And her attitude was very simple. It just, it all mattered. Um, it all mattered. She would not release an opinion under her name, dissenting opinion, majority opinion, without it being as good as she could make it. And I would distinctly remember, I think it was in the first clerkship on the circuit court, um, you know, I had given her a draft or something, and we were going over it, and I had said something like, the plaintiff asserted in the district court that blah, 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 blah. And she she sort of stopped and, and said, I don't know, you know, asserted? Uh, to, shouldn't it be maybe averred or declared or noted or observed? You know, what's the right word? And I remember thinking when I'm sitting there, it's like, oh, geez, you know, really? Does, does it does it really matter that much? Um, we've got a lot of work to do. Can't we move along here? Um, I didn't say that, but I thought that. Um, and it was really years later, to be honest, when I, I thought, you know, yeah, it, it did matter. You know, that's the, that's, that's the point is that every word kind of matters and people are going to be picking over these opinions for a hundred years and you want to get it right. Um, and the law is a, a, a profession in which language is kind of everything. It's all we have. Um, so I thought that was, it was very powerful. Um, it's sort of a very powerful message she sent to me and to, and to the other people who worked for her. So, so that was the takeaway. Um, one of the things that surprised me 
um, and was a, and was a, a takeaway because it was so unexpected was the way she, uh, Ruth Ginsburg was the world's greatest networker. Um, I think, uh, honestly, she knew everybody. It seemed to me sometimes, um, she, she knew every woman judge in the country. I'm sure of that uh, on a first name basis. Um, she remembered them all. She wrote them notes. They wrote her notes. Uh, she cared about her professional networks. You know, I really had the sort of naive view when I, when I started this, you know, people get elevated to the, the judgeship and they leave their old life behind and they ascend, they put on the robes and they sort of ascend to this heavenly place and they look down on everyone and the rule. Um, and that wasn't the case for her. She kept these networks going um, full bore uh, for as long as I knew her. Uh, they were very important to her. The ACLU, the women's organizations that she had been a part of and, and played a role in, this, the, the network of women lawyers and women judges and women CEOs um, that she had been uh, a, a part of. She kept those going um, and was solicitous of their views. You know, I, I, I always tell people, she, what, one of the things we did as a clerk was, especially on the Supreme Court, in the Supreme Court, you might get 20 or 25 amicus briefs on each side in some cases. And the, the justices are not going to read all that. And most of them, they don't have to read all that because it's very repetitive. But she, and, and so one of our tasks was always to, 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 in the package that we sent her about a case with a bench memo, um, we would attach the, uh, uh, the amicus briefs that we thought said something important, um, different, and on both sides. And she she told she wanted to know. She said, "You know, if the ACLU has a brief, I, I want to see it. Not because she didn't have to have to say this, but but we understood. It's not 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 because I want you know I'm, I'm going to go in their direction, or it's just that I'm going to I'm I'm going to deal with these people. I'm I'm going to see them at the next ACLU luncheon. I'm going to see them. I'm going to speak in front of them." Um, at some gathering uh, or, or other. And I, I want to know where they came out. Or, you know, somebody's going to ask me, why did you go uh, this way on that case? And I want to know that they wanted me to go a different way and I will deal with that. But it was all part of it. She was working hard on, on all of that. I was very, I was surprised um, and, and sort of amazed and, and sometimes bedazzled by, by, by how skillful she was at keeping, being at the center of this gigantic uh, uh, legal network. Before we started recording, you mentioned that uh, Justice Ginsburg was a shy person. How did you experience that yourself? I always felt she was uncomfortable on one-on-one -on -one interactions, even with a lowly clerk. Uh, she just did not feel that was not the way she felt comf comfortable in exploring issues um, and discussing Im important things. She worked, uh, she wanted to get away, uh, close the door, read what she had to read, think what she had to think. Um, and I think she felt a sort of weird kind of pressure in one-to-one in -one, uh, engagement because she was thinking and not speaking. She would as I said, you'd, you'd, you'd sit there waiting for her to, you would finish a sentence and you'd wait for her to respond and nothing would happen. And it was very uh, sort of anxiety producing until you realize, well, that's just the way she is. You can, you can 
also stop if you have nothing more to say, and there'll be silence for a few seconds. Um, and that's okay. She doesn't think less of you, or she's just thinking and waiting. And if there's nothing to say, there's nothing to say. Um, and then she would want you to go away. And I, I, I liked her style of writing because it relied on the written word so much and not the spoken. She was not the person. You didn't put your feet up on the desk at 5 p.m. and say, so, you know, what do you think of that case? And have a bullshit session of some kind, which could be great. Some justices did that. Some judges do that. And I'm sure it's great fun and very illuminating. But she was not like that. She wanted to give me what you've got. Um, thank you very much. I'll come back with questions if I have them. Um, but I'm not going to I'm just, I'm just not comfortable sort of sitting here back and forth and back and forth and arguing um, orally. What, one of the things that surpri surprised me a little bit about that, I mean, she was a phenomenal litigator, so she must have been good at that. She she made her, you know, that, that she could stand up in front of the Supreme Court. You know, she had eight Supreme Court arguments or something um, and won most of them. Um, I, I never saw her as a litigator. I, I never witnessed her performance as a litigator, but she was obviously was good at it. And it was, it was, it, she must've worked very hard at that because she is not a natural conversationalist. She is a quiet and shy person. And to, to think of her standing up there and getting bombarded with these questions from the justices like they do, um, I would have liked to have seen how she handled that um, because that was not the style. Uh, that was Marty's style, her husband's style. He was a back and forth and argue and a this. And, and Ruth was, was liked the quiet and the, she was a thoughtful, um, more thoughtful, I think, uh, than convivial uh, in, 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 in personal interactions. You wrote at the Volokh conspiracy that you felt you owed her uh, yeah. enormously personally. Why? Yeah. Well, one was, uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, I mean, I think the, the, the experience of writing for Ruth Ginsburg um, is one that either turns you into a, a, a better writer or, uh, I guess, it sends you to a mental institution or something. She was a ferocious editor. Um, she Again, all, the, all of her clerks would, would, would testify to this. I think they all had the same experience. You'd hand something in, um, a draft of an opinion or a bench memo or something. And she would, you know, a couple of days would go by and she'd hand it back to you and it would be covered, I, I, covered uh, in a way I, I, I can hardly describe, covered with red scrolls. Just every sentence had something to move this or take this out or really question mark or this doesn't work or page after page after page after page, red all over. And she'd hand it back to me and she'd say, good job. <laughs> um, and I always would think, whoa, you know, really? Uh, sort of uh, the imbalance between it looked like she was going to smack me, you know. It was, uh, um, but but she 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 taught you how to write. She taught you that words were important. She taught you to keep it short. She taught you to get to the point. Um, uh, she taught you to make it sing if you could. Try to to craft a paragraph that you were proud of. Um, even if it's, you know, section three, four, seven, a nine of the statute being, you know, some minor, uh, a point of boring, uh, legal nonsense, um, make it good, make it as, as good as, as you can make it. So, so that was enormously important to me. I, I think I learned how to write, 
from from Ruth Ginsburg, and 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 I will always be grateful to her for that. Um, as I mentioned in the article, it, it so happened that the two years that I clerked for her uh, were both years where in which in my personal life I, I had some tragedies. My brother-in-law died unexpectedly my first term, and my dad died during the second time I clerked for her. Um, and she was very supportive um, in a very quiet way. You know, she, she doesn't wear her emotions on her sleeve. Um, but she, uh, she gave me time off. She uh, was very solicitous of, of my feelings at the time. Um, and as I described in the thing, she wrote when my dad was dying, in the last week or so of his life, she sent him, uh, she sent my parents a little gift and a note in which she told them how wonderful I was and how much she loved me and that she couldn't go on without me and all sorts of stuff that we all knew was 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 exaggerated but was very uh was a wonderful thing to do it it made a big difference to them they they were very moved by that and and it was just important for them to hear it and and I think to me it signaled she, she was very comfortable being Ruth Ginsburg, she was an important person in the world, and she knew that. And she knew that a, the handwritten note from Ruth Ginsburg to my parents would matter to them, um, would be something they would treasure, um, because she's Ruth Ginsburg. Um, and she didn't sort of shy away from that. I, I thought that was, a lot of people do not wear their, their fame um, terribly well. Uh, and I think she did. I, I think she she was very considerate of her clerks. We we were sort of part of her family um, uh, while we were there. And I thought it was just she was a she was a she was a decent human being. And she was a, as I said before. I I thought she was to me what a judge should be, which is that impartial, um, thoughtful, uh, compassionate to the the the, the people who's cases she was here, you know, people's lives turned on on what she did, and, and she took that seriously, and she tried her best to get it right. Um, and I don't think you can take that for granted. Uh, you know, they got life tenure. They can do whatever the hell they want to do. Um, <laughs> they don't have to work that hard. Um, but but she cared She cared about the people in, in the cases, and in, in a good way, not in a sort of sob story, you know, uh, you know, I'm always for the widows kind of kind of widows and orphans kind of kind of thing she was she was soft-hearted and hard-headed in a very good way in my view david post is an adjunct scholar at the cato institute he blogs at the volok conspiracy we spoke yesterday subscribe to the cato daily podcast anywhere you please and follow us on twitter at cato podcast 